Hey guys, welcome back to the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. This is your host, Eleni, and as always, I'm so grateful to have you here with me today. Today, I have a really exciting guest. Um, We went to school together um, at Post um, for nutrition, and so I'm so honored to have her on the podcast today. Um, Before we get started, I just want to place a trigger warning on this episode. We will be discussing things related to diet culture, dieting, weight loss, and things like that. So if those types of things trigger you, then I would recommend pausing this episode and coming back at a later time. Um, And if you feel like you are able to listen to this episode, then stick and hang out with us. So Esther, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Hi, Eleni. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Um, which should be very fun being that, you know, so it's been a while since we've been at post, but thanks to social media yeah, um, contact. So yeah, which, to be here. which I love so much. And like, when I think back to like how long ago it was, I think like we were talking before this and I think we had me- like a medical nutrition therapy class together in the undergrad level. So this had to be like probably like 2013 or 2014, which was like a long time ago. Yes. Definitely, <laughs> um, way back to MT. Yeah. Oh my God. I think you sat in like the front, right? I don't know if that's true, but I feel like that's where I saw you sitting. Uh, probably front, right. Or usually at the back closer to the door, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe I was sitting in the front, right? I don't even remember. I block out a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So Esther, tell us a little bit about the work that you do now and what you're currently doing. I know you um, have an Instagram account. Everyone give her a follow. I'll put all of her information in the description box below. Yes, right now I am currently um, still in New York. I have a virtual private practice um, focusing on a haze approach, weight inclusive lens um, pretty much, you know, helping women of color who struggle with food and body issues for the most part, um, and currently doing that virtually. That's so cool. And I love a lot of what the posts that you focus on, because a lot of dietitians tend to like, I mean, I'm probably one of them. I don't post frequently at all, but like you always put like, such nice sayings and things like that, that are so shareable. And I always find it very interesting because obviously like we're lifelong students. So it's always cool to get the insight and see like what other practitioners are talking about and their perspective and things like that. So as a, you know, as a colleague, I always really appreciate what you're, what you talk about. And so I'm excited again to have you here. So we had connected a little while ago because I asked you, you know, to come on the podcast and you had posted about your experience, like through childhood with your weight and going to fat camp and someone who like myself could relate to trying to lose weight as a child, being forced to lose weight as a child. But I, I, I was not sent to fat camp. So I was very intrigued to hear a little bit more about that. So I feel like the listeners would benefit for you, like just kind of setting up like your life, like how you started where you were as a child and then how that progressed into fat camp and then like your experience and how that shaped you. Cause obviously it played a huge role in your life. Yes, definitely did. Um, fat camp, weight loss camp, whatever we choose to call it. Um, that's at least a good 10 
two years of my life, 10 summers spent um, as a camper and a counselor to a group leader. Um, I, I, I went summer fifth grade. Mm. Um, my younger sister went to Girl Scout camp that summer. I went to a weight loss camp. Um, the camp I chose, and I'm sure we'll give it away eventually, I decided to do at least an exclusive all girls camp. So it pretty much, I think, up until that, where it didn't look the same, um, had breast at least by third grade, just was the bigger kid. Um, and I think I remember gym class, like mm. I think fifth grade, is it? Or was it fourth grade? That's why you now get to go into locker rooms and you change in front of the other girls. So I just remember, or at least now I can remember that being something that always touched me at that time. Mm. Um, also just, you know, there was a few bullying or smart remarks here and there, but at that time going to camp, I was like, okay, I want to go to camp. Um, after I picked the one I went. So my first summer, I did four weeks at camp. Um, it was definitely a shock, but at the same time, I felt like I belonged. Like I was able mm -hmm. to make friends with people who understood whether they were being bullied or might have been also dealing with weight issues at that time. Um, I also was considered small to some people there. So like it was a new type of confidence that was you know, mm. given to me at that time, but also thinking fifth grade, I don't even remember how old I was at that time, maybe nine or 10. So now dieting or restriction is now put into my life because at that point, which I wasn't necessarily put on diets at home or restricting, it was just more so like comments about watch your weight or eat less, but at camp. So pretty much what it is, you're, you know, waking up early, you might do a morning track activity. Um, you go to breakfast, which is, you know, at a table, monitored by a counselor. There's a certain things you can eat. Um, you have some type of aerobic activity plus a sport. Then you get lunch, same thing. There is a rest time in between. There's another activity where maybe like swimming, pool, drama, something of that sort. And then there's like a free choice where you could choose to do another activity. And then an evening activity, you get dinner and then a snack. So you get three meals, two snacks throughout the day. They're all within a caloric budget. At the time, give or take, we're getting about maybe 1,200, 1,300 calories. Camp, you can be sent as young as eight and your oldest count camper can be, um, you know, 20 plus. So just think about there were people younger than me, you know, at eight, we're still growing. Like, you know, people are getting their periods. I think the first time I actually got my period was at camp. Like, you know, some yeah. girls are hitting puberty at camp. So to even be restricted or receiving calories, uh, deduction at that time, you know, that's a lot, but you don't know that in the moment because right. you're not aware, like you're thinking, well, all these other people are there, they're older, the authority, you look up to them, they're helping you. This must be great. You're also having fun. You're making friends. Yeah. You're losing weight at the same time. You're seeing the changes. Why not? So you kind of you know, camp ends or you leave camp early and you make all these friends yeah. all year with like a, a going home packet or whatever we want to call that. And then you try throughout the year to keep it off. Come around January, February, you realize you're not keeping it off. All of a sudden enrollment for the new season starts. What do you want to do? You want to go back. 
because you want to see your friend, but you also want to lose that weight that you lost because you like how you felt when you lost yeah. the weight. So it becomes a repetitive cycle. So it's kind of like we're going through that whole binge restrict cycle at the same time without even realizing that we're doing that because we're literally depriving ourselves and then we're ready to do it all over again. Um, but also there's that exposure to, you know, the bad and good food. So at camp, that was the first time I was exposed to diet soda. You know, they gave us diet soda, but it was also a treat on certain days. Froyo, that's a big thing. So like, you know, Froyo has that high morale, but then ice cream is looked down upon. Like mm -hmm. you shouldn't have that because it was all about less calories or what's better or get the unsalted pretzel. Um, you know, sugar-free gum. That's the first time I was exposed to that. Uh, sparkling water, all that stuff. Like that's, you're exposed to all that because they're telling you that's a good thing to have. It's mm. empty calories or whatever the case may be. So that's, now you have this in your head when you go home, like this is all you can eat. This is good versus something else. So it's just literally an ongoing cycle. Um, as a child, you don't know any better. Now you go back, as you get older, you realize, well, how can I lose weight really quick? Oh, let me go to camp. I can give me eight weeks. I'll drop whatever I need to drop. You keep going back because as a counselor you can go for eight weeks or the whole summer you get paid not as much but in your head you're thinking well i'm losing weight for those mm -hmm. eight weeks and i can go back and return to my life and people by the case be so you go home you receive compliments for your weight loss you're being praised for it so those yeah. reasons, the same thing that um is disorder eating or eating a disorder continuing or beginning you're getting praised for that yeah but you don't feel like that just keep seeing like, oh, I'm losing weight. I'm getting this confidence I never had before. I'm getting more attention. I want to keep going back. I want to keep going back. Um, and then depending on the age of what you're watching or seeing, more behaviors start. Yeah. So um, I did that for about 10 years. Uh, and I finally, my last year as a counselor was 2009. And I was just like, I can't do it again. But within that time, I've... Um, grown close relationships with a lot of my campers. I've watched eating disorders in my face. I've watched them go to treatment. I see, I do keep in contact with a good amount of them to this day. They're struggling, still yeah. struggling. Like literally in treatment, trouble, struggling. So it's, some people are able to, um, you know, let it go and others, those behaviors are stuck with them. But the ones who started at camp at eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, and now 28. Yeah. I mean, when you were, when you went to the camp, was it like, I know you said you picked it out, but like, was it like your family said, like, we want you to lose weight. We want you to go here. Or was it like you heard about it and you were like, oh, my family's telling me to lose weight. This is what I should do. Um, no, there was more like, there was the option. I like, so back then the weight camps were, um, or how you find out about them because definitely no social media or internet. So, you know, yeah. like, back then it was like the YM magazine, 17, Teen Vogue, you know, we wow. looked at the back, they had all those things for like weight loss. So that's how I found a weight loss camp that way. So, so you like, went to your family and you were like, okay, this is what I want to do. The options. Yeah. So then from there, pick them, call them out. They backed them because- I went in the nineties, um, they sent a VHS as their orientation like thing and like a brochure, but the way they were advertising literally, like if you remember 17 magazine and YM, just yeah. literally the back page used to be like the classifieds or whatever the case that was. And yeah, they yeah, yeah. Lost camps on there and they would target pretty much readers. That is so scary. And like, as we've 
become more aware of how like disordered that kind of even that culture of like magazine culture of like showing only like thin white women and like thin models especially during that time it was literally preying on people's insecurities and like the fact that you were a child is even more disturbing and like you literally went to a camp that created eating disorders yeah and because you see all that in the magazine and then it's kind of like oh yeah Um, like I want to look like Mandy Moore yeah me too like I don't know I always loved Mandy Moore but like she was always on the cover of something so it was one of those type of situations where um it was by choice and then enjoyed the environment one was in so yeah going around I don't in the moment and I get why one may go there but now that I know better of course yeah um, seen in a different lens just like you know with my friends who I did make with who are actually probably like my closest and best friends um as we all share this common struggle yeah um, we see the harm that's been done between campers and ourselves and you know those who were able to um get help or not get help but we're able to see it now we're also older yeah and it's you know, where anyone can be anywhere from like nine to 17. And even as a counselor, you can be a counselor at 18 or 19. We're technically we're barely developed. Like, you know, we're not fully adult. And so it's so scary that you went to a place that you thought was like going to help you. And they were like severely restricting calories during a time when you need more calories for growth and development. And so just from like a health standpoint, it doesn't even like, obviously we're, we're talking about this in hindsight now, you know, at the time, like you thought that that was like what you were supposed to do. And then having that reinforced by the environment and then by the praise that you would receive after camp. And it's like almost like cult-like, you know what I mean? Like where everyone's going to the camp and they're all gonna, and it kind of, reminds me of like in today's time like I don't even know if these types of facilities or things exist I'm sure they probably do but um it's kind of like why people get so attached to dieting where like oh this is Weight Watchers and they like make an Instagram page and everyone follows it and it's like they're all within the same thing and they talk about how to get free point foods and those types of like communities that you know, derived from these situations, it reminded me a lot of when I was working inpatient with eating disorder uh, adolescents, how they all kind of like banded together and would like share the way that they could have the least amount of food and, you know, eat a cucumber every hour or like all these things like filling up on diet soda and like seltzer and things like that and so I I found it interesting that you picked up a lot of those things not from your like home behavior it wasn't like you were emulating the behavior that you saw at home but from the camp itself yeah no they're they're definitely um learned from camp and um there's actually a recent article I think on the business insider that exposes some of the camps, but one in particular, but pretty much like one quote is like, if you didn't go in with an eating disorder, you were leaving with one. Yeah. It literally comes down to, because there's also, you know, there's also the part of 
a place that you're also thinking the safe space that's not necessarily a safe space yeah. there's still that goes on there's still the fat shaming there too um but it just shows how much of diet culture can harm someone yeah and like like you said some of the people that you made friends with are struggling with this like 10 years later over 10 years later yeah which is like a lifelong thing. And it doesn't just, and something that I think is important for people to realize is that maybe not in your case, but in a lot of people's cases, a lot of this diet culture education or, you know, how we're taught what's good and what's bad is transferred generationally. So like if you yourself, not you specifically, but if someone is suffering with disordered eating, and then they have their kids and then their kids observe those behaviors and then they start to emulate them and it just passes on and on and on. So it's not just doing damage to yourself, but to your family as well. And that's like kind of the crazy part. People think, oh, it's not a big deal. You're just dropping a couple of pounds, but it's so much more serious than that. Yeah. And I think it's also when it is becoming generational, um, some don't realize what they're doing. Oh, a hundred percent um problematic in that sense so I think it's also just that awareness of what's going on and and now it's like so easy for us to point these things out where like whereas a lot and 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 the scary part is and I'm using these like very serious words because it is really serious and scary is that it's praised if you lost if you lose 20 pounds in a month no one's going to say, oh my God, are you okay? They're going to say, oh my God, you look great. Because in our society, it's normalized to however you lose weight the quickest or, you know, slimming down or after having a baby, you know, bound getting your mom bod, you know, your pre-mom bod or whatever it's called back. Like it's just still so infused in our society where it's being masked as like being all about wellness and health, but it's all the same thing. And that's the scary part. So, so people who aren't like educated in this field, like you and I, like the average person who has been struggling with weight their whole life, they've been going on diet after diet, they're going on social media and seeing these people and getting basically similar advice to what you probably had when you were at camp and they, but it's, but it's masked. It's like, Oh, helping you lose, lose weight, get toned and love your body. It's like, you can't do the two things. Like you should love your body, whether or not you're toned and have lost weight. Like you can't teach people both at the same time. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's what it is. Like with everything being masked like wellness now. So even with the camps, you know, Mm -hmm. they're they're not calling themselves weight loss camp or fat camp. They don't even want to hear that. They're Mm -hmm. now referring to themselves as holistic camps I think one is calling themselves a fitness camp um but that's not what really goes on yeah (laughs) and like you you grew up on Long Island so I'm sure you're familiar of a lot of the culture on the North Shore so we both live in New York and so like where my my office is located it's actually right near where Post is and prior to being a weight inclusive dietitian, you know, we, we were taught in school to promote weight loss. So I would get a lot of referrals from local doctors and people who have like heard about me in the area to bring their children to me to lose weight. 
And I never promoted weight loss in children ever, but like a lot of these parents didn't understand why. And I was like, do you understand that your child is, their body is depositing fat so that they can have enough energy storage so that they can adequately grow and have it on hand when they need. And it's like, if they didn't, they obviously, I wouldn't work with them. So they would probably find someone else, but people need to realize like kids are like bodies are really, really smart. They know what to do. And like, you know, during that age, like eight or nine or 10, or, you know, before puberty for girls or boys, like that's before you have your growth spurt or you like, like you talked about how, you know, your boobs got bigger and things like that. Things for girls that are different, obviously than boys, but um, those things are for a reason, like your hips get bigger and stuff because it's preparing you for menstruation. So those things aren't a bad thing. If your child, you know, if you notice your child is like getting, you know, gaining weight, I would say it's probably because at that time, that's what it's supposed to, that's what their body is supposed to be doing. Your child should not be losing weight. Yeah. And it's also allowing for them to get to know their body and understand the changes. Um, we, we all change <laughs> like yeah. the aging process. Right. So I think, um, but when you are in school with other people or everyone thinks the fat joke is the greatest insult and, you know, we'll put someone down and not even realize it. It, it becomes difficult for children at a certain age and that you will want to look for another outlet. So even um, just because I am still in contact with some people in the camping area, um, you know, even with COVID, camp wow. still went on this summer, camp went on last summer wow. because their children, whether it be their parents who um, put them into camp or ones who actually want to go because they're being bullied. So this is what they're thinking is going to be that quick fix to help them out. And in the moment, it may help them out, but for the rest of their life, we don't know what damage that has, that may do to yeah. them. Yeah. And not just physical damage, but the psychological damage, which we know plays such a huge role in our health and our wellness and our well-being. And the mental aspect on its own is very severe. Yeah. And so, you know, I think a lot of people have, a lot of people who are very deep rooted in diet culture do, don't necessarily understand the fact that like the weight, like your weight status is not a direct indicator of health. And I know I've spoken about this before, but I think it's really important to talk about it again in this context, especially when we talk about children, um, because something that like we learned in school is that like, oh, if a child is a certain weight in their childhood, it makes them X amount more likely to be overweight or obese later on in life. And this much likelihood to have diabetes and things like that. And it's like, all of those statistics are so rooted in like fat phobia and are only looking at it through a lens of weight centric, uh, like a weight centric mindset. And I think people need to understand that like we are not all meant to have the same body. So not only in our own lives, are we going to have different bodies throughout our lifetime, but we're all not meant to have the same type of body and be the same weight and things like that. Yeah. And even with what we're taught um, and if, and with research, you know, just 
making it clear that correlation is not causation. Like Correct. I think you'll forget the word, it'll be a juicy headline. And by the time you actually go through the article, you realize like that has nothing to do with the headline. So not everyone is informed as us being that Correct. we are a professional and industry, but just knowing that it's part of marketing. Like let's put that big, bold, you know, COVID-19 obesity, but then mm. put in small, there is no correlation but only we only read the bold and the first few lines we don't read everything and realize that this is just another way to put that fear into people can you just explain for the listeners what is the difference between causation and correlation so correlation um make sure i don't get it wrong either because you know research was not my favorite thing but that's (laughs) that there's an implication that something there may be a relationship whereas causation is literally that there's a strong connection that if you do this, this happens. So if one says, you know, eat three meals a day, there might be correlation that you'll have more energy or causation means that you definitely will have it. But the correlation is telling you that there might be a relationship and the causation is saying that this is what caused it. So when we talk about like when people are like, oh, one of the biggest predictors of dying from COVID is being obese. Yeah, it's not a cause and effect, but the way that like you were saying, the media explains it and you see the biggest headlines on social media and Facebook and all those things. Not all people who are considered obese are the same exact person. There's so many different things that go into it. And, you know, not not only the fact that the BMI scale is stupid and antiquated and it was never intended to be used um, for assessing health. It was, you know, I, I don't I think I spoke about this in another podcast, but it's essentially it was created by like this guy who was like a mathematician and like. Europe in like the 1800s and it was based on self-reported data from white European men so like first of all the people were self-reporting the data so we know that self-reporting data is not reliable data and also we know that you can't use results from white European men and generalize those results to everyone else who is not a white European male Um, so that in itself the whole label of obese you know, obese, overweight, whatever, you know, that we can have a whole other conversation about, but there's so many other factors. You could be in a larger size body and be healthy. Yeah. 100%. And, and a lot of people don't necessarily understand that. And it's just because it's so deep rooted that it's like, Oh, someone's bigger. So it means that they're unhealthy or, you know, they're going to get diabetes, but I'm like, what about the people who are thin and have diabetes? Do you tell them to lose weight? No, because they don't have weight to lose. So what do you do then? Oh, there are actually things that you can do not related to weight that could help manage your blood sugar levels or lower your risk for cardiovascular disease and things like that. Which goes, you know, pretty much to respectful care for all. Yeah. And that's, that's such a huge principle of health at every size, which I love so much. And I feel like every single healthcare practitioner should like have to like memorize everything, all the principles. I have a whole episode on what the principles are, but um, I just wish that 
it was more prevalent in our healthcare system and obviously in the nutrition space as well. Cause a lot of people, um, tend to misconstrue what it means and they take it out of context. It doesn't say like, yeah, you should just eat donuts all day. It's like, you could eat donuts all day, but like, is that really going to make you feel good every single day to eat donuts all day? Like probably not. It just means that you have a right to enjoy the food that you're eating and pursue behaviors that make you feel good. Without judgment. Exactly. And, and it's hard. It's hard to undo that trauma that people like you and others have gone through when you were so conditioned to view certain things as being good and bad. Do you find that like you still sometimes struggle with those thoughts in the back of your head, like a little voice, like telling you like, that's good. That's bad. Oh, absolutely not. I absolutely don't like that. Uh, um, if I am ever having ice cream, it's ice cream. Like I'm eating full foods. Like I remember back then, like the hundred calorie pack things were a thing. Yeah. And um, like knowing, <laughs> like no, I'm gonna eat the whatever it is. But no, um, if I want food, I'm eating food because I enjoy it. Um. I, I'm a candy type person. I like that stuff. So it's, there's definitely no morality when it comes yeah. to food ever. Um, and then even like around others or when I was seeing like, you know, younger clients just being yeah. really bad in my eyes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think that that's so great. And I, I do find it helpful as, as a dietitian, I find it that individuals who have personal experience in that area tend to be, it's easier to relate to your patients or your clients or, you know, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. I think, um, to an extent like lived experience and being able to provide that relatable care, um, it allows for you to build that rapport with your client, but also, you know, to provide that safe space for them. Yeah. I was talking about food struggles, body image struggles. It's not an easy thing to do. So if you walk into a room and you already feel reluctant to want to share, it kind of does um, a discourse in that treatment plan you may have with someone. So all about being able to provide that space. Yeah. But also knowing that to an extent, I do have lived experiences to um, help understand and just kind of meet them where they are to with certain things. Yeah, for sure. I think that's so great. And I feel like, you know, not saying that individuals who haven't had that life experience or lived experience aren't great at what they do, because there are many dietitians in this space that are phenomenal that may not have personally experienced these types of things. Um, but I think definitely it does help people feel more safe. And that's obviously better, a better way to give care in that sense. Um, so if anyone's listening right now, so what would you recommend to them if they feel like they need to lose weight right now? Um, I would explore the why. So I'm big on exploring the why, like where, where is that coming from? And what, what does the desire weight loss mean to them? And what is it that they're actually looking to achieve? Um, is it a feeling? Is it a look? But to literally dig deep on where that desire is coming from. 
Yeah. And I think that that's a great starting step. And sometimes some people may come to you and say, oh, well, my doctor said I have to lose weight. But also like they have a lot of like trauma and things that they experienced throughout their life that make them want to lose weight because they think that that's the only way to feel happy or be healthy or love themselves or something like that. I think it's definitely a lot of, um, a lot of unpacking and unlearning goes into it. And there, there are going to be some people out there who, you know, still want to lose weight and it's not something that I intentionally promote. Um, you know, you could plant all the seeds, but when one is ready to go a different direction, at least, you know, they heard you and they may think yeah. about it. It's also body autonomy. Like I am not here to now force you to not want to lose weight either. Just like I wouldn't force you to eat something or do something after weight. Like if weight loss is what you want to do, I just may not be that practitioner for you. Maybe I could help you find a dietitian. Um, that would work with you, but I'm also not going to be the one to try to put my ideas on you. Like, you know, it's based on you and when you're ready. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's important for people to understand that like individuals like us, we're not saying that you should not lose weight. We're just saying that the intentional pursuit of restriction and dieting with the end goal of losing weight is not beneficial for your mental and physical health. If you start you know, improving your relationship with food, helping heal whatever disordered eating habits you have, finding joyful movement, and you happen to lose weight, that's what your body wanted to do. And that's fine. But we're not like weighing you every week or telling you to weigh yourself every week or anything like that. And I think that that's like a big part of what the non- anti-diet people say it's like oh like what you're just saying people shouldn't lose weight and it's bad like no we're just saying that like if you're obsessing over eating x amount of calories every week or counting how many points every day or things like that that's not a helpful long-term solution to anything there's so many other things that are going on in your life that are the cause of what's going on and not just necessarily the number on the scale is going to be the solution Definitely, well, like, you know, just trying not to focus on numbers. Yeah. But health promoting behavior. So, yeah, it, how you feel. Correct. To grasp it and just even hear it because for so long we've only heard about lose weight, you'll get this or do this, do that. Mm-hmm. So, when you start to hear another perspective, it takes some time for um, folks to, to be able to um, align with it, you know, believe it work on it do it so yeah it takes time and it takes effort and you have to realize that you it took you how many years to get to this point with all of the life experience and and the diet culture messaging that you don't even realize is everywhere at all times and so it takes a long time to kind of root out those weeds and get rid of them and to help you see things in a different way yeah it's a it's a it's a journey you know yeah. the process of healing your relationship with food and body um say all the time it's not linear there is no end date there you know there is no necklace it can you know it's up and down literally for sure yeah of course it's not linear it's 
each day is different and that's you know the journey that we're on Esther thank you so much for joining me it was so nice to have you on everyone please definitely give her a follow and check her out I will have all of her information in the description box and I will see you guys next week